You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chews is NPR's Voice of Books. His forthcoming collection of stories is An Authentic Captain Marvel Ring. Thank you for joining me, Alan. It's a pleasure, Rick, as always. Alan, let's start right off with Starting Over by Elizabeth Spencer. She's been publishing since 1948, and we now have a collection of nine stories. These are fascinating, beautiful perfectly wrought stories of uh, small towns in the South. I, I really found this an engrossing book. I did, too. Uh, and, and it's really interesting, just from the technical point of view. I mean, she's in her 90s, early 90s now, and if she wants to break a rule, she breaks a rule. If that's how she wants to tell her story or figures out that's the best way to tell the story. So she's shifting points of view within, you know, within a, a, a very brief period of time. She's putting in flashbacks in the middle of a little scene that, you know, kind of beautifully rendered breaks it up that way. And and she just has to get at this necessary truth that she's learned after all these decades of writing. So with the death of Mavis Gallant, who I think was about 94, 95, uh, Elizabeth Spencer is, I think, the the most successful and 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 also the oldest short story writer alive and well still working after all these decades it's interesting to me how fresh the stories sound how unexpected she can be she can start out in a, a story and you think it's going to go do one thing and then she just goes whoosh, and it just takes you in a really different direction than what you would expect i found that really entertaining and, and engrossing um, we have the, the story, uh, Return Trip, where they're spending the comer, summer in the cottage in the mountains. Yes, yes. Just and, and really old, beautifully done. And, the, and the, the history of this old flirtation. As only in the South could a woman's cousin appear and disrupt the, the, the household because of some old fling these distant cousins had some many, many decades before. Or uh, a wedding guest in, in a story appears, and, and the same kind of deep romantic past returns to disrupt the present. I mean, it, it, it's almost as if they're, they're like ghost stories. These, these events from the past appear and disrupt the uh, seemingly placid role of, of the living present. And, and the societies abundantly present, husbands, wives, children, aunts, uncles, cousins, in the past, a family is always present. Uh, I really loved her sense of the family and the way she crafted them, created them, wove them together. It seemed really deeply realistic and obviously informed by years of family life. And that's one of the yeah. things I thought was really uh, engaging and really uh, wonderful to read in this book was just this look at American families um, by somebody who's obviously knows knows her stuff. Yes, for having been around a long time, but also, also, also having grown up in the South, which I guess is the most what uh, flamboyant family scene or part of the country that we have. You know, Joan Didion can 
write about you know California families where the atmosphere is always chilly as ice, but uh, and uh, you know we can get flamboyant New York families in Salinger and Grace Paley, people like that. But the South seems to produce the most intricate knots of, of family relations that we have, I think. And but, but wonderfully understated, too, I think. Pardon? I, the, 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 everything in this book is just wonderfully understated. Yeah, that, I was just going to speak to that point where, I mean, she is not a great stylist. I mean, or, or at least she's a very subtle, uh, great stylist, so that to the point where you can't really quote the language, language except when she's dealing with images. I mean, she does beautiful things with images. I mean, there's one image that's stuck in my mind. There's an old pecan tree in the winter outside a kitchen window in a story, and she says it shows off a network of gray branches, the ones near the trunk as large as a man's wrist, the smaller ones reaching out, lacing and dividing, all going toward cold outer air. I mean, in a way, that's life itself, hibernating, but also somehow keeping its vital signs apparent. And, I mean, she can do that with beautiful images. And with the, the psychology, is, is, is deep and and very, very beautifully done. But, I mean, just the language itself is just plain, 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 plain American, plain style. And yet she can do so many wonderful things with, in, in, a, in a few sentences. It's, it's certainly a book that I think most readers will find absolutely wonderful. It's something that you can read piecemeal, come back to and come back to and find the different stories that will suit your different moods. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's nice about books, a great collection of short stories, is you can come back to it and say, I want to read this kind of story right now. And I think their short story collections are wonderful to reread because you can read them piecemeal, then put them back together in a way that makes sense to you, and then come back to them in a different time, in a different mood, and approach them in a different way. It's And this a collection of short stories by virtue of their kind of understatement yet their insightfulness and the way they cut to the heart of the way at least uh, my family and I get along, I think is especially true. Yes, I would agree. Now, let's take a, a, a leap to famous writers I have known. Yeah. This book is by James Magnus, and it's his new book, uh, this is a really fun book and a very interesting, uh, has a great premise to it. So uh, tell us a little bit about the premise of this book and, and where uh, Magnuson himself comes from. Yeah, well, uh, Magnuson is a, is a writer, uh, both a popular and, and a particularly fine novelist. He's uh, the director of the uh, Michener Writers' Center, Center for Writers at the University of Texas, uh, and uh, he also worked for, I guess, almost a decade in in, uh, in television, writing uh, a soap opera. And so he knows about how to make a lot of money, and he knows how to make good books. Uh, and uh, this novel is, is comes directly out of his his wearing him wearing his hat as the director of the Michener Center. And it is a comedy about. Uh, a New York con man, who a guy named Frankie Abandonado, who, in a neat series of plot twists, uh, he's, he's he's a couple of hop skips and jumps ahead of the 
mafia, and he hides in plain sight down in Austin, Texas, posing as one of America's most uh, lauded and also most secretive writers, uh, a novelist named V.S. Mole, sort of a Salinger stand-in. And uh, for months and months, Abandonado, he, he, well, he, he arrives at the Austin airport, and these students are waiting for this famous recluse to arrive, mistake him for this Salinger-like figure who never got on the flight. <laughs> and he just scams a whole lot of people in the writing world. He scams the director of the writing center at the University of Texas, as in a Magnuson-like figure, a little bit more pathetic doppelganger of, of the wonderfully successful and uh, serious James Magnuson himself. And he also scams this best-selling novelist in decline, who's, I guess, a kind of portrait of Michener, uh, who's un underwritten a lot of this Texas program. And, and um, he scams this elite cadre of worshipful, worshipful fiction students who place themselves at his feet. And um, he's got to do a lot of on-the-job on training. He treats everybody to this, his version of a great novelist, wings it every day that he goes into the center. And he, he st at one point he stumbles on this, uh, you know, that famous aphorism of, of Henry James, we work in the dark, we do what we can. That is the madness of art. I mean, I've cut it a little bit short, but that's James's wonderful statement. And, and, and Abandonado says, we work in the dark, we do what we can. I had no idea, I had no clue what that meant. He says, the only people I knew who worked in the dark were cat burglars and hearing and, and heating duct repairmen. <laughs> <laughs> I really loved the sense of uh, satire and fun that, this, that uh, Magnuson has in this novel. Yeah. He, he what's nice is that he as you say he's he certainly sends himself up. He sends up everybody else. But it's clear that he likes the people that he's sending up and he yeah. respects them. And I think that's a really important aspect of making a novel like this fun and enjoyable and exciting but not nasty or um thin. Right, he's not nasty and he's not simplistic, and uh, although I think that the students, poor things, <laughs> take the worst hits in this novel because they they really don't have a clue of what what's happening to them. You know, at least this guy who runs the Center for Writers, the, the Magnuson doppelganger in the story, is uh, you know he, he's kind of pathetic, but he's also working really hard at a book. And Michener doppelganger, you know, has given a lot of money to this center and trying to make leave his mark you know make his legacy but the students have nothing and <laughs> except what they're trying to do every day revise their stories and they've got this con man and and and, and telling him how to write <laughs> well you know too what what's fun about this novel is for how much fun it is and how funny it is it's also thought-provoking and interesting and pulls mm -hmm. up some interesting aspects of literature it's about li it's literature about literature that makes fun of literature and yeah. that kind of whole hall of mirrors thing is a makes you think about what you read and about all this other stuff and maybe take it a grain less seriously which can't be bad yeah. And it also uh, gives it like this book, uh, um, I guess, uh, a light-footed heft. Is what, mm -hmm. I would, what I would mm -hmm. say. I mean, it doesn't take itself I, too seriously, but it's worth taking seriously. Yeah, it's just it's utterly charming. Abandonado says, uh, 
this whole writing thing was worse than heroin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's placed in this strong uh, world of strong egos and and, uh, is probably the most subtle figure in all in the entire book. Well, uh, it's a book that I think anybody who who reads will enjoy, and a lot of people who don't read will just find funny. <laughs> yeah, it's really uh, charming. I would say, for parents who have kids in writing programs, you know, they ought to attach a loving note before they give this as a birthday gift. <laughs> <laughs> then send it. Yeah, I think I I agree that as a as a student, you wanna you want to read this book. You need you actually probably need to. On the other hand, um, I think a lot of people who read Trieste by Dasha Derndich, I think it's da- Dasha Derndich. She's a Croatian. Uh, this is a, a wonderful book, but it is very um, odd, to say the least. It, it, I would describe it. It's a really um, experimental fiction. I'm not exactly sure how you how you would describe it. Is it. Exper- no, it's clearly experimental i mean um i mean the subject is you know the devastating history of the italian holocaust the book is 368 pages long and 45 of them are nothing but a list of names around 9000 names right in the middle of the the novel the names of all the italian jews who were either murdered by the nazis or deported by the nazis most of them to the death camps. I mean, it's an astonishing uh, act that she's performed here, putting this list in the middle of, of the story. It, it's something I, I will, would describe it as not surprising, I think, as a, a, some, it's, it's fairly horrific and, and uh, not a horror novel per se, but it's a novel that examines horror. And well, yes. I mean, remember Daedalus and Ulysses says, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awake. I mean, this is history as living nightmare. And, and it's beautifully written. I mean, and the the structure is, is really fascinating. It's compelling because you do get, you get a mystery to, to get you into it, to, to find out what what's uh, happened. And, and then... It takes you through this history. It's a, I think, a, a really, um, it's a book that pushes the boundaries, but still keeps the reader engaged, which is, I think, easier said than done. Yes, it's, a, it's a, right. It takes a while to get into the, the plot itself. Uh, it's kind of a palimpsest. This, this young um, woman who had an affair with one of the, the Nazi officers who came to this town of Gorizia on the outskirts of Trieste. I mean, they had an affair. She has a child by this man. The child's taken from her and put in this, because it's half-Jewish child, they take the child and put it into this uh, special training infant center in, in, in Germany, and she tries to track it down. And that quest is the center line of the story, and all around her is, is this horror show of of, of the uh, Nazi occupation of uh, northern Italy and Germany also. It, it also, she works, Dernditch works in the, in the documentary style of, of uh, Siebold, don't you think? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, 
photographs. She uses uh, actual documentation of the Nazi occupation. Um, I mean, so it's a kind of... She plays with the non the, uh, nonfiction, in a, in a sense. Yes. Use, uses, uses chunks of nonfiction embedded right. in her fiction to advance the story. And I think that's one of the things that uh, makes this compelling and also allows us to get through like some intense and I guess difficult to digest aspects of history in a manner in a story that's upsetting in a manner that the combination of the reality and the fiction makes the each one makes the other palatable and also uh, gives them a narrative tension and force to move us forward through the story. And the question is, why would anyone want to read it? And I think the answer is very stark and comes immediately to mind, which is because you must. And that is the perfect reason to read it. I've been speaking with Alan Shoes. He's the voice of books for NPR. His newest book is An Authentic Captain Marvel Ring. We talked about Trieste by Dasha Durndish starting over by elizabeth spencer and famous writers i have known by james magnuson thank you for joining me Always alan a pleasure Rick. pleasure you're listening to the agony column news report featuring interviews phone interviews reports from live book events and festivals and conversations with readers you can find additional news interviews book reviews and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.